Hello and welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Danielle Guntaliki. Today, I spoke with Sarah Galvin from PayPal, an international charity that focuses on leadership and innovation through cross-sectoral working. They're focusing on development and growth through the sharing of skills and experiences in a mutually beneficial way. The leadership's programs have design element where members of corporates, NGOs and governments work together to design an innovation to solve a problem. The conversation looked at how leadership and project development can grow through collaborative working, which highlights why cross-sector approaches are so vital, as well as this approach catering to the lack of investment and dedicated funding within the sector to develop things like a comprehensive leadership programme. The episode also touches on the ways in which we can ensure genuine interest through shared visions and objectives are relevant of our sector. PayPal works to support individuals to learn about leadership as well as realise their leadership potential. It's fascinating to hear Sarah discuss the research that there isn't a singular set of characteristics that define a leader, but an array. I hope you enjoy this episode and learn as much as I did. This episode is brought to you by our platinum sponsors, Charity People. Here is Sarah Galvin on building leadership in the charity sector. Hi Sarah, thanks for joining us on Charity Chat today. Um, So could you just give us a little bit of an intro about yourself, a bit about the current work you're doing and what interests you most in that work? Thanks, Danielle. Um, So my name is Sarah Galvin. I'm the Programmes Director um, of PayPal. So PayPal, at its heart, is um, a leadership development organisation. We often talk about our work being at the intersection of leadership development and social impact. Um, So we bring together um, large corporate companies, um, NGOs generally in the Global South and governments generally in Global South um, to find shared value projects, to find big social issues um, to collaborate together on. But the way we do that is through providing leadership training to the um, participants from those different um, types of organisations. We bring them all together and we provide leadership training and they look for innovations that impact in the social in- impact area. And then we test those innovations and where we find things that are really looking like they might have potential for scale we look at ways to scale and what do you like most about the work you're currently doing um I think the collaboration the collaborative nature of it um so working with corporate companies working with health workers who are kind of on the front line so one of our projects focuses on cervical cancer screening so we might be people who come to our program might be screening 20 30 women a day and then there'll be other people from the corporate sector and we bring those um together and really bridge the the gaps between those different groups and so I really like the collaborative kind of element of, of people's work. And then um, to touch on PayPal a little bit more, how did it come about as an organisation um, and kind of where did you find that space that it, there was a need for that leadership development and collaboration between Global South NGOs and governments as well as in the corporate companies? So PayPal was founded about 10 years ago, just over 10 years ago now, and our founder was working for a large charity um, and what she was seeing and the charity that works globally and what she was seeing was a real lack of investment in leadership across the charity sector and that was really um, 
the thing that was causing a lot of challenges for, for organizations and, and for them as a bigger charity to partner with smaller organizations, a kind of lack of leadership was really causing a lot of, of issues, a lack of investment in leadership. Um, and at the same time, she'd recently done an MBA. Um, she, on the board of the large charity that she was working for, um, was a number of people from the corporate sector. And she was seeing the significant investment that the corporate sector was making into, um, into leadership. And really, PayPal came about because she was thinking about how to kind of bridge that gap, how to bring those things together. So how we could use the, utilize the investment that the corporate sector was making in leadership, but also what, what corporate sector leaders could learn from charity and NGO sector who are often working um, in quite very fast-paced environments with minimal resources, really focused on vision and purpose. So you often find that charity leaders are working and people within charities are working very much with those things at the heart. And there's actually a lot that the corporate sector can learn can learn from that so so really looking at how to bring those things together but also focused on impact as well how can we can not only bring together the investment that the corporate sector was making in leadership and the learning that could go across those two different sectors but also how that then can then have impact and that's really where people came from I wonder if um, you've got any ideas why you think there's such a difference in value placed on those different skills. So like you say, really identified like in the corporate sector, leadership is valued and invested in and not so much in the charity sector. Um, do you have any ideas around that? I think some of it actually comes down to just the finance of, you know, the invest, the, the cost and, you know, charity increasingly in the international development sector um, where I work, you know, is funding is stretched and, often you know um, and people want to make those investments in the projects they want to support beneficiaries they want to make sure as much as the resource as possible is going into supporting those that um, charities are working with um, so an investment or a significant investment in leadership and that can often be costly um, doesn't always feel like the best use of resource I think so I think it, it is somewhat a resource issue yeah yeah no I can I can definitely see that and I think that's where PayPal is positioned in a really interesting space of collaboratively bringing people together where it's mutually beneficial rather than it having to be a strain in one particular area on finances for example to touch on the pandemic in the last like 12 to 15 months what leadership skills have you seen develop um, and what have you kind of seen change within the leadership approaches as well I think the two buzzwords that have, have really in the leadership space over the last kind of 12 to 18 months, resilience and agility. Um, so I think those organisations that have been quite agile um, and being able to move quickly and at the same time kind of keep the ship steady. So, so shift but not shift so much that you kind of unbalance the ship, if that, if that is, makes sense, have, have really been the ones who've been able to find the opportunity. And, and that's a difficult time to use against the pandemic. But, um, you know, this has given the opportunity to think differently about how we work and where we work. Um, and then I think the organisations that have recognised resilience or that have, have been able to foster resilience within their teams have recognized that includes really looking after staff well-being really thinking about 
you know, self-awareness and looking at how we're working and how we can we can support teams through this. Um, so I think they're really the things that come across. And I think it's maybe too early to say that the leadership space has significantly shifted and changed. But I think what, what has happened or what I've seen from colleagues who are working in other big um, NGOs um, is that the focus on leadership has increased. So people have really looked, had to look to leaders or look to leadership within themselves and say, okay, how are we going to get through this? How are we going to lead the organisation through this? So I think it's brought a renewed focus on, on the importance of leadership. And I hope that leads to more investment within the charity sector in, in leadership development and leadership support, but also well-being and resilience kind of support for, for colleagues in the sector. Yeah, I think I think that's really, really, really important as well. Like you say, that there has been opportunity that's come out of the pandemic, despite all of the like the terrible things that have come out of it. We've also seen people have had no choice but to work differently. And like you say, I suppose, become resilient or um, agile and adapt and things like that. Yeah, thank you. Um, we've also, when we've spoken uh, just previously to the podcast, um, you shared that you adopt a VUCA, so a volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity model. Could you just explain a little bit about it and what it looks like in practice and potentially how others could learn from it? Yeah, so we, it's, it's used a lot in the leadership space. So they talk about the VUCA, the VUCA space. So as you said, you have volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity. Um, and it's a model that's been around for a long time. It was actually used um, right from the 1980s um, by the US Army. It was coined by the US Army um, in, re- in response to the collapse of the USSR. And so it's really come from there. Um, but it's been used um, before the pandemic quite a lot in the leadership space to really describe a world that's getting more um, complex and harder to understand. So, you know, things like the acceleration of technology, the use of artificial intelligence, um, kind of more and more people being able to access the internet and have information at their fingertips. Um, And I think COVID has really shown just how complex and uncertain the world can be or the, the you know the world is getting and becoming and um, it's really drawn that again into perspective so it's an interesting model and when covid does reduce it doesn't mean I, I don't think the world's going to become less it might become less complex because of covid but there will be the next big thing that continues to add to our to our complexity um, in our kind of daily lives and there's kind of a counter to, to um, the terms that we just outlined, which is with volatility, you need as a leader to have vision. So you need to lead your organizations with vision to respond to this constant um, shifting, shifting kind of um, landscape. And with uncertainty, you need increased understanding. Um, so you need to be better at asking questions. And, and there's a lot of talk in the leadership space about questions are becoming more important than answers for leaders. Because, you know, because of this uncertainty, we don't have all the right answers. So when you don't have all the right answers, the right questions become so much more important. So it's really just being able to gain understanding from your teams, understanding from the external environment, understanding what's going on in, in the space that you're working. 
And then with complexity, leaders need to be able to bring clarity. So this, you know, we all know that we're completely saturated with information. So as a leader, how can you bring to your teams, you know, the right information to be looking at or, or some clarity around just this huge amount of information that we're given? Um, or how can you as a leader help your team focus in the right areas and become clear on what that is? And then I've talked about agility already. So with ambiguity, there's this balance into agility of being able to move quite quickly, but not move too quickly that you destabilize. So that's the kind of VUCA model and it's used, there's more to it than that. And I could go into more detail, but I think I've maybe said enough. Um, but yeah, it's something we talk, we center a lot of our kind of leadership programs around because we're seeing increasingly um, the world becoming more, more like that. My initial thought was going to be, is it going to be the opposite? So uncertainty is, you need certainty, but I actually think it's it's really interesting how it's not based on that, it's understanding. It's like a different angle to look at things from. So yeah, I think that'd be really useful for people as well. Um, so in a previous episode, we spoke with Howard Lake. So that was episode 138, um, who discussed fundraising through the pandemic. And he expressed mm. and shared that he felt that fundraisers have become more resilient since COVID. Um, would you say a similar thing is the case for leaders? I think everyone's had to become more resilient. So I don't think it's just a leadership. I don't think like senior leaders or, or senior management teams have become more resilient. I think everybody's had to be um, more resilient. And it's kind of lucky that resilience is a skill that you can practice. It's not something that you're kind of, I think you often see, you do see these quotes that it says resilience you know you're born with resilience and I, and I think that's completely untrue um resilience is a skill you can learn and the more you respond to to difficult um situations generally the more resilient you be you can practice that but also just recognizing what we mean when we talk about being resilient and I think um when when, the, when we first went into the pandemic, we talked with some of our partners in India um, and in, in Tanzania and Uganda, and we asked them, you know, like, we've a leadership provider, we're a leadership organisation, what do you think you need support with? And everyone would say, no, we need to know how to be more resilient. We need to be, you know, we know we need to be resilient. Everyone's hearing this word, like, tell us what that means. <laughs> Um, so we did some work um, with some of the some of our partner organisations, some of our partner NGOs about what what resilience means, um, and I think it's about being aware, awareness of kind of how you're responding to a situation, having compassion for yourself and others in in complex situations, being realistic in your thinking but also flexible. Um, and it's about having kind of hope and optimism that things can change and things can things get things can get better. So that for me is what what um, describes resilience to some extent. And and I think as senior leaders of charities, we've had to have hope and optimism that things will improve. But just as people as well, because you know we've all been most of the world has been through some kind of lockdown and everyone's had to be optimistic that things will change and things will get better so I think resilience has increased across the board I think where things are really challenging in the resilience space is 
one thing that's really important for resilience is kind of human connection, communication, emotional regulation. And I think that's a lot of that through lockdowns and other and other things, not being able to work in offices has been taken away from us. Um, so it's looking at how in organisations we can replace that, you know, day-to-day contact that we've had with our colleagues in the past and um, ability, you know, the emotional regulation piece, a lot of people have been through a lot during this period. How do we help our colleagues to be resilient in that and to regulate emotions and to respond appropriately in, in stressful times, I guess? Mm, yeah, thank you. That's a really, really comprehensive answer of, yeah, what it looks like and, and how it can be and what's, what's been developed. And interesting um, that you kind of identified it's a bit like a buzzword isn't it like you say like resilience is how do I just be that and there's probably so there's so much to it and there's so many different ways to kind of reach that position um looking at the global nature of your work I know you've already touched on obviously that you're working kind of in the global south and then partnering with um corporates and things I suppose it'd be interesting to look at how equity comes into the work you're doing and is there any advice that you could offer organizations to kind of position equity at the heart of what they do I think we work with leaders from all around the world um, and we bring them together on a shared leadership journey. Um, and I think one of the things is there's a lot of preparation in the work that we do. So we really um, make sure there's space and time for people to be prepared to come to this to this space. And that preparation looks different for the, for the NGO partners that we work with, for our colleagues who are frontline health workers, for our colleagues who are coming from the corporate sector. And we've really tailored that to make sure everybody's coming with a shared understanding of what the journey is going to look like. But also because we're working in this, in this leadership space, it gives us a permission to push people to the edge of their comfort zone and ask difficult questions and ask them to consider how do we work equally as a team so that the way our programs are structured is that we we have um, a cohort of maybe 40, 40 people on a program and they're working in small teams. So the teams are mixed. So it might be that there's two frontline health workers from Tanzania, there's two colleagues from maybe Switzerland working for large corporate company and then there's two colleagues from an from the NGO sector maybe working in the capital of the country say Tanzania um so that's the way our programs are structured but because we're bringing people along on a joint um leadership journey we've got it gives us permission to ask difficult questions to ask those um, different colleagues how are you going to bring the team together how are you going to hold things together what are you going to bring to this space what can what value can you add what is the best contribution you can make and I think for the participants on the program that actually changes and develops over time and that's often when our programs work best is when what people initially thought they could best bring Mm-hmm. is halfway through the program is is different and to give people then the space and to ask those difficult questions in those moments allows more equity because you're because you're providing that kind of gentle challenge and challenging people's assumptions as well I think would you say it's about then creating a space where people kind of feel comfortable and understand what you're there for but equally are prepared to be challenged in some ways and feel comfortable at that challenge Yeah, prepared to be challenged um, and also given the space and given a safe space to reflect on what's happening and what's going on and the different aspects of of the work. 
and that and that really is given real space and time to to really think about and and take you know you take people back out of their day-to-day and you ask people you know will those challenging questions Just to build on what you've just been saying around equity, often like leadership is spoken about in quite like a hierarchical way. Um, and there's what we've seen and what the charity sector, I suppose, is coming to acknowledge, especially in conversations around lived experience, is that there's plenty to learn from everyone. So I suppose mm. um, it'd be good to see how people approach and encourage leadership irrelevant of that status in the organisation, because I know it's not only positions higher up in the organization that you work with you work with leadership development in junior positions as well for example yeah so a real mix of of people come to to the programs that we run so we've had um community health workers right up to senior managers running teams of 50 60 you know people so a real or, or larger um so a real real mix of different people and when we bring people together we bring them together they they usually don't know the size of team that you're managing or your job title or your and actually none of that really matters it's about you as an individual and you as a person and PayPal really works from the premise that everybody is a leader and everybody is a leader in their own circle circle of influence and that and one of the most powerful things I think about our programs those people who come to the programs who don't traditionally think of themselves as a leader or haven't given that job title they're not director of something or lead on this or yeah they haven't got that job title necessarily um, and no one ever told them before you're leading this but actually the program allows them to position themselves as a leader and the confidence that they gain from that and the empowering nature of being told you have the power to lead in in your circle of influence in your space and these are some of the ways you might think about doing it it's incredible to see that shift shift in people so yeah really valuing all levels of staff and valuing them as leaders um, is really important in our work Wow, yeah, that that's must be like a really rewarding um, outcome to see someone that, like you say, hasn't got that title necessarily. But like you say, anyone can be a leader and in so many different ways, which I suppose what you're saying earlier about um, the pandemic response, it was the idea that people actually had to take time to look internally and think, well, I need to lead in something here, whether it's uh, specific or just in general like growth. There's research that shows that there's not despite all the research that's been done on leadership over the years they they haven't identified a clear set of traits like there's never been like you need to be a leader you need to do x y you need to be x y and z or have x y and z personality kind of traits despite trying to find those traits researchers have actually never been able to identify them so there isn't one set of personality traits or one set of kind of characteristics that you need to be a leader and I think we're moving away or I think kind of the world feels like it's moving away a bit from also this kind of hero leadership where there's one person who's the kind of flagship person and they go to and they're the people person who speaks and they're the kind of authoritarian kind of figure and moving more towards empowerment and leading from behind and all of those kind of terms and ways of thinking and that takes the pressure in many ways off 
people who are kind of heading up organizations because if you have a whole team of leaders who are leading their own kind of domains that can really move you forward and empower all levels of, of organizations How do you feel that the corporate and charity sector can develop that collaborative partnership work? I think increasingly the corporate sector, and, and my hope is, and, and I can see this in some of the companies that we work, are moving from um, maybe a CSR approach or um, or having corporate social responsibility and, and social impact being like a sideline in business to being something that's more central to their operations. So there's, you know, more talk of kind of business as a force for good, more companies becoming B Corp companies, more um, more thinking. And I think as the next generation moving to the workforce, what organisations, some organisations are saying to us is that they're being asked to, they're being asked by the employees as well what are you doing for social good? What are you doing for social impact? What is your environmental record as a company? And often now I think generation that are moving into the workforce now, moving up through the workforce now, are really challenging organisational leaders about environmental impact, equity, etc. So I think that opens a space for charities and third sector organisations to work more closely with corporate partners. And I think traditionally there's been a bit of fear around that, but I think as we can, if we can draw the space together and find shared value in, in corporate and charity work, that's when those collaborations can be really successful. And we, PayPal has been lucky in that we've found leadership as our kind of shared value space that both the corporate and the kind of NGO frontline health workers were all bringing something to that space, but we found that as a collaboration, shared value space. So I think for charities, it's as companies move more into this force for good, social impact, thinking thinking more um, with that in mind that charities need to also think, so where's the space that we can really work together? There was something around like the, the genuine connections. So I know you mentioned CSR, and I think there is an element of hesitation sometimes around that. And what um, other charities have identified is the employee volunteering elements. There's and it's how do you make it a mutual space, I suppose. And I, I think you've touched on it already mm. with the with the shared value. But I wonder if there's anything else people can keep an eye out or look for in terms of it making sure it's genuine and it's potentially long term yeah. and sustainable. Yeah, I think the employee volunteering piece that's quite difficult because I don't know maybe you're a bank then you you know you've got a whole group of people who know about finances and maybe you want to partner with a tiny NGO well they don't need a whole lot of people who know about finances they might need one and that might be useful so then what do you do with them and that's where you get the kind of painting the schools building the schools project that's where that because it gives a whole lot of people a role so I think those employee volunteering schemes are quite challenging and I think it's Again, it's about finding the shed, finding the right match. You know, if you're a bank, you know, don't look for a tiny charity. You need to be partnering with, you know, big organisations. So it's just getting the right fit, I think, and recognising, you know, as a, as a charity, what you need and as a business, what you can offer. And just being really honest and open about that and where, where the kind of the, the skills can really match 
um, well. Something a couple of our other hosts do at like the end of um, the episode sort of thing is ask guests what's their favourite thing about the charity sector and what's the thing that they also find most challenging? I think the favourite, my favourite thing is probably the people that I work with on a day-to-day basis and just the vision, passion, um, that they have commitment, dynamic ways of working, ambition that people have. So it's just so great to work with colleagues every day who are so keen to see impact you know work in such a flexible dynamic ambitious way and so I think that would probably be the thing that is my favorite thing about working in the charity sector I think the most challenging thing I think well recently I mean it's it's hard not to think about recent events but for for us as an organization with um kind of the cuts to government international aid funding that's been a real difficult thing and you know because you know, many, so many charitable organisations work so closely with funding cycles of major funders and, um, you know, themes around what major funders decide to fund. Uh, it can be very challenging to, to keep your organisation stable and to, to focus, to really stay on track with your vision when sometimes the organisations that are funding us don't share that kind of understanding or the significant cuts with funding or what we've seen in the last few weeks with the international development sector and the huge government cuts in 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 aid funding and so I think that's the challenging challenging part okay brilliant yeah well thank you so much for joining us on charity chat it's been great having you thanks Danielle it's been really nice to speak to you I've really enjoyed it A huge thank you to Sarah for taking the time to talk with me today. It was great to learn about the long-standing volatility, uncertainty, complexity and ambiguity model and the balancing forces that come with it in terms of the uncertain and complex times that we're living in. It is also poignant to note that when the pandemic does end and things have gained an air of normality again, the world is still a very complex and challenging place that needs leaders and organisations who can support innovations to face new and ongoing issues. This, coupled with the cuts to funding, makes for a difficult future, one which isn't clear and there is no shortage of work to be done. What is great to be reminded of is that there is an appetite for building mutually beneficial relationships where corporations, charities, NGOs and governments can come together. The focus that PayPal places on joint leadership journey, where skills are equally valued alongside experiences and expertise, creates space for new ideas and partnerships to develop, be sustained and long-standing. There is also the need to create safe spaces where challenging conversations can be had, which is at the core of furthering equity objectives. And I'd agree with exactly what Sarah said about the people in the sector. They are committed to working and looking forwards and towards more positive, sustained social impacts, and they're prepared to face new and ongoing challenges. So thank you, dear listener, for getting this far with us. We hope you enjoyed this episode and continue to enjoy the podcast. We'd love to hear from you either way. It's just left for me to thank our corporate sponsors, our platinum sponsor, Charity People, for enabling us to share insights, expertise and best practice across our sector. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Axmit for our beautiful website. You can check it out at charitychat.org.uk. And Saeed Danji for playing throughout the show and for playing us out now. That's all from me. Take care and speak soon. <laughs>